right, can we stand for the reading of the word? And while you're standing, let me remind you, Wednesday night, we begin a series on the colossal Christ of Colossians. And I guarantee you, if you go through that series, you're going to understand some things about Jesus. Uh, it's such a powerful book. And a lot of things going to happen. We're going to see how he has set us free, what he did with our old man, how we have been crucified with him, how we are risen with him, and the splendor, majesty, power, width, breadth, height, and depth of who he is. So Wednesday nights, the Colossal Christ of Colossians. We're going to give you notes. When we're done, you're going to have a book on it, a little book of notes for your own use later. So I encourage you to be there. Now today, Memorial Day Sunday, what a powerful Sunday if you really know what it means. And I want to talk to you today about the price of freedom. Freedom is not, has never been, never will be free. So look at what Jesus said in John 15, 13. Greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Now there he's talking about himself, and he was anticipating his crucifixion. But you can take this principle and apply it universally to life. If you love someone, you will lay down your life for them. And I double-dog dare you to try not to. If you love someone, you will die for them. Well... Let's look today at those that have died for us so we can be free. Father, we thank you that this is Memorial Day and we're remembering those that gave their lives so we could gather today like this in freedom. And we pray that you will speak to us. Help us, Lord, to remember what this day is really about. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Thank you. And I want to talk to you a little bit about freedom today. A lot of reasons. I can assure you that what we're going to look at, how freedom is never free, it's meaningful when you look backward, but it's also going to be meaningful when we look forward. Because over and over again, any free country, any free person is going to have to fight for that freedom. Because there's always a force, always something, an ideology, a philosophy, a totalitarian despot somewhere who wants to take it from you. So today for a lot of people, Memorial Day just means getting off of work tomorrow, maybe traveling, although with the gas prices, a lot of people are experiencing staycations. Some of you didn't get that. You'll get it tomorrow. You'll think about it. You can't travel because... Gas is so high, so instead of taking a vacation, you're in a staycation. Three of you have gotten it so far. That's great. But for the informed, uh, today is a whole lot more than just a day to take a break at the lake. Memorial Day is the day that we remember those who have given their life's blood so that we can be free. And you just need to travel to countries that are not free that are under communism, some kind of totalitarianism, to really get a grip on what we have. Now, going back a little bit, Memorial Day uh, used to be called Decoration Day because people would go to the cemeteries of fallen soldiers and decorate the sites. 
their grave sites, decorate them in memory of what they had done. And it was originally launched way back uh, to honor those that fell during the Civil War that gave their lives in that battle. Now, probably the most famous presidential speech in all of history is the Gettysburg Address given by Abraham Lincoln. It's funny what he said in this little quote from that address. He said, the world will little note nor long remember what we say here. Well, he was wrong there because this is the Gettysburg Address. But here's what he said. The world can never forget what they did here pointing to the graves of those that had died. I want you to know, folks, we should never forget what they did here, what the fallen soldiers have done. I've had the privilege of overseeing several funerals at the National Cemetery. And there is nothing like standing there and looking out over that sea of white gravestones, white tombstones, all the same. And that gives you a little glimpse of all of those who gave their lives so that we could be free. Most of them were in their 20s, late teens, early 20s. Never got to marry, never got to have children, never got to pursue a career. Gave up their young lives for the cause of freedom and liberty. And you look out at those and you can't help but be moved. And when they play taps, as I am burying a fallen soldier. Uh, it, it moves me to tears virtually every time. It's so powerful. Because here was a person who served their country to preserve this precious commodity that we call freedom. We take it for granted. We don't stop to think that today we were free to get up, have a breakfast, get dressed, come to church, worship the living God without fear of persecution, Listen to a message from the Bible, and I was free and am free to preach a message from the Bible, which you can't do in many places in the world. And we could do all of this without fear of arrest or persecution, because hundreds of thousands of men and women went to the battlefield and gave their lives short-circuited, aborted from what they would have been so that we could be free. The numbers are staggering. Let me just share a few of them with you. In the Civil War, 365,000 northern soldiers were killed. 133,000 soldiers from the south died. There's half a million. In World War I, 116,000 American soldiers were killed. It would have been far more, but we entered that war late. If we hadn't entered it late, it would have been far more catastrophic for us. In World War II, 407,000 Americans died, half a million. 54,000 Americans died in Korea, 55 or 58,000 in Vietnam, 148 died in the Gulf War. And as of May 25th, 33,000 American soldiers have died in Iraq fighting terrorism. And over 1,500 have died in Afghanistan. That's well over 1 million Americans who gave their lives so that we could be free. And if you extrapolate that a little bit into the 
moms and the dads and the spouses and the children and the in-laws that lost loved ones on the field of battle. It is millions who have suffered the affliction of death or heartbreak so that we can be free today. That's what Memorial Day is all about. We remember. These are the real heroes. Those that gave their lives. They're my heroes. They ought to be your heroes. They're the real heroes. Let me tell you the truth. It's the soldier, not the theologian, who has secured our freedom of religion. It is the soldier, not the reporter, who has secured our freedom of the press. It is the soldier, not the protester, who has secured our freedom to demonstrate. It's the soldier, not the judge or the law lawyer, who has secured our judicial system. It is the soldier, not the entrepreneur, who has secured our economic opportunity, free enterprise, capitalism, the ability to go out and do and be whatever you want to do and whoever you want to be is unique to the West because they died that we could be free. And it's the soldier whose coffin is draped in the flag who has secured freedom for those who want to burn the flag. And I've always got to say this when I talk about that. If you feel so bad about America that you want to burn the flag, let me say we would be glad to say goodbye to you as you go off to China or Russia. Seriously. If you think America's that bad, take a little trip to Russia or China. Stay there for a while. And then when you come back, when you get off the jet, you will bow down in uh, on the pavement and kiss the ground of freedom because there is nothing like the freedom that we enjoy. Thank God for it. There's an old saying that is true, and I really believe this statement is a true statement. A man is not dead until he is forgotten. When you forget about a man, forget about a woman, then they're really dead. And that's why we cannot, must not, cannot ever forget those who gave their lives for freedom. George Washington said this, The willingness with which our young people are likely to serve in any war no matter how justified, shall be in direct proportion as to how they perceive the veterans of earlier wars were treated and appreciated by their nation. I say anybody that comes off the battlefield having fought for us ought to be honored, ought to be cherished, ought to be respected, ought to be remembered, ought to be thanked. And those of you that are veterans today, uh, this is Memorial Day, not Veterans Day, but nevertheless, those of you that are serving on the cause of our country, fighting terrorism, fighting despotism, fighting totalitarianism, fighting the encroachment of any kind of bondage against our freedoms, we thank you today. And I want everybody to give them a hand. But you know, I was thinking about Memorial Day Sunday and thinking about those who have given their lives and I got to think about war. And I thought of this, that there, there are other wars that have been fought. Wars waged by invisible enemies on invisible yet very real battlefields by champions who also gave it all. I'm talking about spiritual wars, 
spiritual battlefields. The clash between light and dark, Satan and God, good and evil. Those battles where Jude said to the church, I want you to earnestly contend for, fight for, battle for the faith, the faith, once delivered to the saints. Well, what is that? That is that Jesus Christ came into the world born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He was crucified on a cross for our sins. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. He rose again in victory over death, hell, and the grave. He has ascended back into glory. He saved us by his blood. He is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. We are saved by him, delivered by him, washed by him, cleansed by him, raised by him, loved by him. And one day he's coming again to take us home. So I thank God for Jesus. But Jesus is called the captain of our salvation. That word captain is a military term. That means that Jesus is the leader in a battle that is being fought. It's fought every day. In your mind, it is fought every day. In your spirit, it is fought every day. Our nation is engaged right now in a titanic struggle between good and bad, right and wrong, light and dark, Christ and the enemy, and the stakes are very, very, very high. We're in a battle, and I want to remember the saints who died for the faith. Listen to this verse. Hebrews 13, 3 says, Remember them that are in bonds, as if you're bound with them. Those that are in prison in other parts of the world, remember them as if you're in the prison with them. And them which suffer adversity, as being yourselves also in the body, their body, with them, experiencing their experience. I want you to think about people who are giving their lives for the faith, he's saying who are experiencing hostility, rejection, who are being persecuted, stalked, hounded, threatened, locked up, arrested, who are losing jobs, who are losing their families for the faith, as if you're with them, as if it's happening to you. You know, the funny thing about human nature is we're so prone to forget the courageous Christians who have given their lives and their labors and their sacrifices all throughout history so that we can minister like this today. We have got behind us in the history of the church a long, long trail of martyrs' blood. It stretches out before us from right now all the way back to the cross of Jesus Christ. Beginning with Jesus' 12 disciples, lives were given in this invisible battle on an invisible battlefield. Lives began to be martyred, taken, sacrificed for the cause of truth and the cause of Christ, beginning with the 12. Andrew, the brother of Peter. Remember Andrew in John's gospel early on, John 1, John 2, somewhere in there, running up to Peter and saying, I have found him. I have found the one that all the prophets have been talking about. That was Andrew. Andrew was crucified. Bartholomew was beaten and then crucified in India. 
James the Great, the older brother of John, was beheaded in 44 A.D. in Judea. James the Less was beaten, stoned, and clubbed to death at the age of 94 in Jerusalem. Jude, the brother of James, was crucified in 72 A.D. Luke, remember Dr. Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke? Luke was hanged on an olive tree in Greece. Mark, Matthew, Mark, Mark was dragged to death in Alexandria behind horses. Matthew, Matthew of Matthew, Mark, Luke, Matthew was stoned and then beheaded in Jerusalem. Paul was beheaded with a sword in Rome, the most brilliant, gifted, anointed man on planet earth. Peter was crucified, head down, upside down, by his request, saying to his executors, I have no way I'm going to die the way Jesus did. I'm not worthy. Hang me upside down. And they did. Philip was scourged, imprisoned, and then crucified in 54 AD. Thomas, remember doubting Thomas? I believe when I can touch you and see if it's really real. Thomas, well, he died believing he was thrust through with a spear in India, martyred. Apostle after apostle began to shed their blood in this war of wars, this spiritual war that all of us are engaged in today, like it or not. I got to mention another great warrior of the faith who always touched me, whose shoulders really we all stand on today. His name was John Wycliffe. Born 1320, died 1384, 64 years old. Wycliffe produced the first handwritten English language Bible manuscripts. He wanted the common folks, you and I, to have the Bible in our own hands so that we could read it, be blessed, and be strengthened in our faith. So he gave his life to translating it. But he paid a lifelong price for it. Persecuted, threats, plots, schemes against his life. Finally, at 64 years old, he died of a stroke. But it didn't end there. The Pope was so infuriated by his teachings and his translation of the Bible into English that 44 years after Wycliffe had died, he ordered, that is, the Pope ordered his bones to be dug up, crushed, and scattered in the river. So hated was he for giving you and I the Word of God. But there's another soldier i got to mention who has always meant a lot to me, William Tyndale, born 1494, died 1536, a genius by any measure. He knew eight languages fluently, Greek, Hebrew, Latin, and five others. He could speak them so well that he could convince you any one of the eight were his mother tongue. He was a genius, a master linguist, brilliant, and Tyndale was the first man to translate the Bible from Greek and Hebrew into the English language and put it into mass print. He took advantage of Gutenberg's printing press. And the first thing printed by that printing press was the Holy Bible. And William Tyndale was behind it. And for those labors, the, the desire to get the Bible into your hands and mine, 
Thank God for this Bible. Thank God for this Word. Can I tell you that martyr's blood got this Bible into your hands and mine? Martyr's blood because Tyndale was relentlessly persecuted by the Catholic Church and the Church of England. One day, a clergyman of the Catholic Church taunted him, saying that the word of the Pope was better than the Bible itself. And Tyndale replied, classic statement, I love it. He looked at this guy and said, if God spare my life for many years, I will cause the boy that drives the plow to know more of the scriptures than you. Boy, I like that. Tyndale was finally arrested and imprisoned. For over 500 days, he was kept in horrible uh, conditions. He was tried for heresy and treason in a ridiculously unfair trial and convicted. Tyndale was then strangled and burnt at the stake in the prison yard October 6, 1536. His last words were a prayer. He looked up as the flames engulfed him and he said, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. And he died. Forty years young. It's estimated today that 43 million Christians have been killed for their faith since the crucifixion of Christ. That's more than all the wars put together. I'm talking about a spiritual war, a spiritual battlefield with invisible foes yet real. And some 26 million of these martyrs have occurred in the last 100 years. Estimates are that there's an average of 150 to 165,000 Christians martyred every year right now. I'm going to read that again. I want it to soak in. Around the world right now, people are being martyred for saying, I believe in Jesus. They're being imprisoned. They're being tortured, flogged, threatened, imprisoned, executed, for refusing to recant the name of Jesus, refusing to go back on the blood, back on the Word, back on the cross, back on heaven, back on hell, back on the uniqueness and the divinity of Jesus Christ. And so they're being martyred. 150 to 165,000 Christians martyred every year, giving it all for this battle. More than 200 million Christians worldwide live under the threat of persecution every single solitary day. Since 1983, approximately 2 million Christians have been killed by Muslims in the Sudan. Churches there are regularly burned along with their Bibles and hymn books. If you had a service like this in the Sudan, everyone walking in those doors know that this may be my last service. It may be invaded. It may be raided, and I might be carried off and never see home again. That's the way they live. Since 1983, approximately 2 million have been killed by Muslims in the Sudan, and churches are regularly burned. Ministers have been murdered while government soldiers just stand there and watch. And their sheep, their people. Christians have literally been, in this day, crucified. In Iran... Where Islam is the official religion, a person who converts to Christianity is subject to execution under Islamic law. In Saudi Arabia, which is supposedly one of our closest allies because of oil, there is no freedom of religion whatsoever. 
No public worship services other than those at mosques are allowed. You can't meet like this, can't worship Jesus Christ like this. We have a freedom no one else has. Anyone who converts to another religion is subject to execution. And anybody who participates in winning somebody to Christ may be imprisoned or executed for witnessing to them. The fact is that while we sit in our comfortable building today with air conditioning blowing and nice chairs and a nice building and nice surroundings, ambiance, Christian soldiers are dying for their faith on the battlefield that is invisible with invisible foes. They're dying for their faith. And I want to remember today those who have given their life's blood, moms and dads and teenagers and granddads and grandmoms who have given their life's blood for the cause of Christ so that today we can hold a Bible, love it, love Him, and have a level of freedom. So I want us to remember them today, and at the end of this service, we're going to pray for those that are being persecuted around the world. And as it seems that the temperature of persecution is rising, even in the West, even in America, where now a child can't carry a cross to school or a Bible verse on his little backpack or anything at all that smacks of Christianity... We need to remember those who are suffering way worse than we are and pray for them and fight to maintain the freedom we still have. It is worth fighting for, and I'm believing God to turn the tide and turn it back and give us back our liberties. And finally today, I want to remember the Savior who died for our forgiveness. Now stop and think about it. We have so many people who died for our freedom, but there's not another person in all of history that died for our forgiveness. When Jesus died on that cross, I want you to look at this cross. I've got it up here today because I want you to see it. Thank God for the cross. I'm so thankful for the old rugged cross because on this cross, Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave. On the cross, watch this, he defeated the devil who hates you beyond all imagining. The devil who wants the ruin of the human race. The devil was defeated when the blood ran down this cross. And on this cross, we are told that our old man, that man of sin, that inclines towards sin, that has the bent towards sin, that is drawn to sin, that glories in sin, that relishes sin, that drug us into sin. That old nature we received from Adam was crucified with him. Crucified with him. Now, you say, well, not really. I say, oh, yes, really? Really, your old man was crucified with Jesus on the cross? And guess what? Crucified things don't come down. I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. You have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live, but not us, but Christ lives within us. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who died and gave himself for me. Our old man of sin was crucified there and we rose with him so that now we've got a new nature that gravitates towards righteousness, that gravitates towards the Word, that loves God and that wants God.
I just want to say thank you to Jesus for the cross. Because there the captain of our salvation defanged the devil. There the captain of our salvation restored paradise to us. There the captain of our salvation won the most decisive victory in the history of all the battles of the world. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. If you had visited an old broken pier on the eastern seacoast of Florida on any Friday night prior to 1973, you would have seen an unusual sight, would have made you stop and look. You would have seen an old man, slightly stooped, walking slowly with a bucket of shrimp. What's he doing? The seagulls would flock to the old man like they knew him. And he would feed them shrimp from this bucket. Got to where they knew that he was coming, they expected it. And you got to say, well, why is the old man doing this? He was remembering. Remembering. You see, many years before, in October of 1942, this man, Captain Eddie Rickenbacker, was on a mission in a B-17 to deliver an important message to General Douglas MacArthur in New Guinea. But his mission was tragically interrupted when the plane crashed in the Pacific. For almost a month, Captain Eddie and the other survivors lived on life rafts. The biggest life raft they had was five by nine. Think about that. They endured the sun, the storms, the sharks, but the greatest foe was starvation. After eight days, all their rations were gone. It would take a miracle for any of them to survive. That miracle occurred after a worship service led by the plane's captain, William Cherry. The service concluded with a prayer for deliverance and a hymn of praise. They decided, well, if we're going to die, we might as well have a service and praise God. Following the service, Captain Eddie pulled his hat down over his eyes, and he dozed off to sleep. Rickenbacker describes what happened next with his very own words. Quote, something landed on my head. I knew that it was a seagull. I don't know how I knew but I knew. Everybody else knew as well because nobody moved and no one said a word. Rickenbacker moved his hand slowly and the seagull remained on the hat. The seagull became the miracle from God. Its flesh was eaten. Its internals were used for bait to catch fish. The survivors were sustained by that one gull and their hopes renewed over a seagull that was uncharacteristically hundreds of miles from land. Ultimately, the men were rescued, and Eddie Rickenbacker never forgot what had happened. Hence, every Friday night, he's got a bucket of shrimp, and he's feeding the relatives. I like that. Now watch this. If he can remember a bird that every Friday night for the rest of his life he went and fed the relatives of the gull that had saved his life, can we not remember the Savior? Can we not remember the cross? 
And can we not remember those that have given their lives so that we can be free today? Because Jesus did way more than the gold did, though that gold was sent from heaven. Jesus rescued us from certain hell. He rescued us from damnation. He rescued us from our blindness and lostness. He set us on a solid rock. He filled us with the Holy Spirit. And He's coming again to receive us to Himself. Thank God, let's not get too far away from the cross. And we thank God for all of that. Can we stand together today? And I want us to say a prayer. And after the prayer, I want to receive anybody who feels like God is adding them to our church. You know, last night in prayer, I just felt like, uh, you know, you haven't done this in a while. And we have the, uh, the class where people go back there and go through the class and they join the church. But I felt like the Lord wanted me to give an invitation today and invite you to become a part of our church family. You know, something happens when you settle it. When you just say, this is my church home. This is where I'm going to be. This is my people. So, Pastor Jeff, how do I know? Well, here's the way I always knew myself. You feel at home. You feel like you're being fed. You have a peace. When you leave, you feel peaceful. It is a knitting. It is a kinship. You just feel like that's where I'm supposed to be. You know, the Bible says that the Lord added to the church every single day people who were being saved in the New Testament. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit adds people to churches. And something happens. It always happened with me before I was a senior pastor. When I got committed to a church home, I started experiencing a level of blessing that I hadn't when I was wandering around. It's not easy to find a church home. It's almost as bad as looking for a job. Because you visit here, visit there, over here, over there. How do I know? Well, God just finally says, there's peace here for you. And this is where I want you to be. So I'm going to give that invitation in just a moment. You'll be praying about it. But right now, I want us to pray for people who are under persecution all around the world. I want us to pray for them that God will keep them. And I want us to thank again Jesus for dying on the cross for us. And thank Him for all those that gave their lives for us to be free. Can we pray? Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we do thank You for those who gave it all. Whose blood stains the soil so that we can be free today. And we greatly appreciate and thank You for the freedom we have. And we want to remember those of our brothers and sisters throughout the world who don't have this freedom, who this very moment, some of them are in danger of being martyred. Some even being martyred. We pray as their brethren on the other side of the world that you will help them, strengthen them. Send the angels of God to comfort them and be with them. And we thank you, Lord, for the strength of the Holy Spirit in guarding those that are yours. And Lord, we thank you above all that you gave it all and died for us. Greater man, love had no man than that he gave his life for us. 
in Jesus' name. Now with our heads bowed. If you can say, you know, Pastor Jeff, I just feel like God's giving me a peace here. And